Invest in yourself today with our Insider Pro product, which gives you the career path to reach the next step in your cybersecurity journey. Join today on Cyberate.it using the discount code PODCAST. In this episode of the Cyberate Podcast, Rob Chevelle, co-founder of Abine, joins us to talk everything privacy. From Abine's products, Blur and Delete Me, that specialize in data masking, privacy, and compliance, Rob and Mike talk GDPR, data usage transparency, the freemium trade-offs, internet bifurcation, and so much more. Where do you stand on the topic? Hi, welcome everyone back to another episode of the Cyberary Podcast. Uh, today we're joined by Rob from Abin. Um, this is Mike Ruin, your host, uh, CISO and VP of Engineering here at Cyberary. And uh, Rob, why don't you uh, give a quick introduction about you and, and uh, your company? Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, so the company, Abine, has two products. Uh, one's called Blur and the other's called Delete Me. And we are the online privacy company, uh, which means that everything we do relates to protecting people's privacy. And we've been doing it for about 10 years. And I can tell you that this being the 10th year, it has never been more popular. There has never been a more popular time in our company's history to talk about privacy. Uh, and, uh, you know, happy to be here to do that. Yeah, uh, and I was definitely checking out your products. Uh, um, and I apologize, I don't know uh, if I went with the Abine or Abine uh, pronunciation, which I know we, we talked off uh, offline about. Uh, maybe give a quick little history on, on the name of the company itself. Yeah, I mean, I could tell. I, I, I should tell everybody that listens if if they are if there are any entrepreneurs out there, please please save yourself a lot of headache and name your company something that everybody pronounces the same way. I plan on my next company to make sure I do that. Uh, yeah, we started the company. We didn't really have a name for it. And we had an acronym uh, called, that, we, that we used, uh, which we called a bean, uh, which stood for a bit is not enough. And what we were describing was the situation 10 years ago of these sort of privacy technologies, whether it was a VPN or an ad blocker or uh, disposable email service or something that went and removed some of your information. There are all these little utilities out there that, frankly, a lot of the, um, let's say, politically correct, the, the politically correct term would be very computer literate people uh, would use and regular people uh, would struggle to figure out what the heck to do with them. And so we said, hey, a bit is not enough a bit of these tools here and there are not enough and they're too hard to use. Let's create a company that brings them together and gives people a, a more simple um, way to get some privacy when they go online. And, and so that was the derivation of the name. And we called it a bean, but most of our customers uh, decided to uh, pronounce it a different way, a bind. So then we had to relearn how we pronounced our own name. Uh, so again, my point stands, uh, try to choose a name if you're if you're choosing one, uh, be it for a child of yours or a company that most people can pronounce. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it always makes me think when we because we've talked about it before. Uh, Marriott is a good example of a company who struggles where it's not pronounced the way it's supposed to. But I think they've given up. Um, 
but yeah, in looking at your product offering, I I was I think Blur really caught uh, caught my eye um, because while over the years, I mean, I've for more than I can't remember more than a decade, I've had password managers and all these different things, and it was sort of cool to see all of these different things in one. And one of the aspects that really caught my eye the most was the virtual credit card um, and being able to generate one per. We do that internally here at Cyberary. We have a um, it's offered by our bank to be able to generate like one credit, you know, a new credit card number for every single vendor. That's how we do it. Um, each with their own uh, credit limits and all these other things. I was curious um, how it sort of works um, for Blur and with my, you know, how would it work with my bank or, or I'm just curious how it sort of all comes together. Um, good question. Um, yeah. So our, our Blur product gives people the ability to make these credit cards, virtual credit cards, which we call masked credit cards, ironically, in the middle of uh, this pandemic. Um, uh, at any time they want, whenever they're clicking into a uh, checkout form, uh, and, and, and you know that moment where you click in and, and are about to type in your credit card, we, uh, our, our software will pop up and say, hey, do you want to you want you want to autofill your your real credit card if you've put that into you know our software uh, or would you prefer to make a one-time use or uh, mask card uh, which not only protects your privacy it protects your security because if that merchant is uh, hacked and there's data breach you don't care because that card is gone it, they can they can steal it all they want and try to use it but there's no more value typically left on it because you match the value of the transaction typically to the value of the card that you make. And you know, that principle uh, is, is, is not just about privacy, it's about controlling your data. And we do the same thing with email and the same thing with phone numbers. A lot of us are tired of getting spam. And a lot of us are tired about getting telemarketing and robocalls, especially right. in this political uh, environment. And if you don't, you know, it's amazing, but a pretty simple concept. If you stop giving out your real personal private information as much to everyone that asks for it, where you don't know what the heck they're going to do with it, you reduce uh, their ability to spam you, sell your information to other people that spam you, and on and on down the line. So those are the, some of the concepts there. And that's where uh, people really like the credit card uh, and other uh, masked credential features because not it doesn't just give them privacy, which it which it does, but it gives them control over uh, their data in a way that they haven't uh, typically had it before. And also uh, with the masked email addresses, it also gives you an added level of security that's um, I've been using masked email addresses essentially um, for since for as long as I've owned my own domain. So every single site that I log into gets its own email address that's unique to it. So I can um, uh, you know, in addition to the security aspect, which I'll get to, but it also lets me have control over, like, if they start sending me emails, I can filter those. I can decide whether or not I want them to go through or go directly to the garbage. Um, it also lets me know, I remember back in the, whenever Circuit City went out of business in the 90s, um, I very quickly realized they had sold my email address to somebody because it was considered an asset that they could sell. Um, and so I, I started to get spam at, you know, Circuit City, uh, the Circuit City email address. So 
Um, it gives you that level of control. And then also because every single place I log in uses a different, it's not just a different password, it's a whole different email address combination. It gives you that that extra set of security as well, um, which I think is awesome. It's a it's a it's just a great sort of approach to the whole um, system because um, yeah, it covers you, so much. You, you, you sound like the typical uh, well-informed uh, CTO person that, that has been doing this well before uh, we, we started uh, to productize this. And what we wanted to do is really take those best practices that people like you were doing and make it easy enough for you know, our aunts, uncles, and, and you know, us normal folk to use. And, and, and in our dashboard, for example, if you go look up your masked email addresses or your masked credit cards that you've made, there's a giant button which you can move on each one of them from red to green, which says, turn on, turn off. And it, and it also tells you how many emails or how many charges each of those cards or emails w- received from different vendors. So if somebody is sending you, you know, 35 messages a week and spamming the heck out of you or trying to charge you all the time, you just turn it off. And it's just a beautiful uh, level of control, I find. Um, you know, whether... Yeah, and there's other products that, that do this, uh, not, not just ours, but I just think it's the right way to um, to try to manage your data these days uh, is to just give out less of it. Yeah, no, I agree. I think... And I was um, on a recently recorded podcast. I don't think it's aired yet. Um, a few of us were talking about this um, in the context of point-of-sale systems. Um, and I was mentioning how um, my system totally broke down when uh, I went to a Lego fair, you know, type place where there were all these individual vendors and they had the little square and swiped my card and I gave them, you know, uh, the email address I wanted to use for that vendor. So they had some unique email address and they swiped my card. Um, everything was fine. And then uh, like a month later was at a coffee shop used that same credit card, gave them a different email address. But yet the thing I got an email receipt to the Lego email address because they knew that credit... The first time they saw that credit card number was with this email address and they both happened to be using the point of sale system was both the same system. And it's like, ooh, I don't want... The whole point of all of these different things is to keep all of this data separate and make it harder for companies to to sort of put it back together. Um, And so I sort of that caught me a little off guard of like, oh yeah, here's this credit card process where they must both be sharing that somehow now has linked these two email addresses and these two, you know, these two versions of me. Um, so it's cool that you guys have a product that sort of solves it all in one. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's a, it's a real, it's a really good example of, uh, sort of the sad state affair of affairs, uh, on the internet today, or if you're a marketer, how awesome the internet is. Well, exactly. It depends. Wow. It's all about perspective, isn't it? I mean, like, um, I also know, um, you know, the, the same is true for um, uh, loyalty cards and all sorts of other different things that you don't really think about, but that, that sort of track your purchase. Now, your credit card company has all this information about you. Um, it, can, it knows where you shop. It knows what you buy. It has all of that. It knows your email address. I, it, it's, it is kind of this... Awesome, awe-inspiring thing. It's you know, it's um, it makes me think a little bit of uh, the Harry Potter, like great things, terrible things, but great things type of <laughs> type of scenario where they can do amazing things. It's just mostly Definitely. terrible. <laughs> Definitely, and 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 you know, I think it's important to uh, bring up that 
you know, personally and, you know, at our company, even though we're a privacy company, we're not, uh, you know, sort of religious zealots about um, what people should do or could do. I think there's way too many security companies that build things and then they say, this is what people should do. And why are they doing it? Why are they still reusing their passwords? You know, we're so upset. We're so excellent. And, you know, we understand people are people. They're busy. This is not like the primary reason they go online is not to like, you know, control their data and get privacy. It's sort of like a byproduct of what they're trying to do. And so it is important like that to know that there are a lot of people, uh, you know, myself included, that are we're, we're contextual. Some people we want to share our data with. Some people, we want our data to be linked up easily. Okay. Uh, and we get a lot of benefit of that, just like you were talking about uh, the Harry Potter example. And, it's, and, and I think the important thing or where the, the web needs to go in the next 10 years isn't that you know, everybody needs to be anonymous again like they were in you know, 1995 or something with a, with a username and nobody was tracking anything, but rather... We need to make it much more transparent what these trade-offs are. Mm-hmm. Right now, we give up, we, we register for a new website or we buy something. And all this stuff that you were talking about that happened with your credit card swiping uh, happens without our knowledge, secretly, right. secretly on the back end where all these technologies are correlating our data and linking them up and not telling us and then selling it behind our back and not giving us a discount for it or whatever. And like, we really have to get the conversation needs to move up a bunch of notches around the transparency of this stuff. And then I think you're going to find that people are, are pretty uh, rational and they're going to go uh, allow their data to be shared uh, a lot of times. And then, you know, people they don't trust, they're going to want privacy. And I think that's the way the world should work. It just doesn't work that way today. Right. And a lot of it, it's not just the transparency, it's that level of control. And I think, you know, there's lots, there's a lot of different things that are trying to work in there. Um, on the, you know, on the one side, yeah, I understand why you'd want to link in, in that same podcast. We were sort of talking about another example of why targeted advertising isn't the worst thing in the world and why being anonymous kind of can be bad. So um, I have children. Um, by them being, by me putting all of the same privacy things on their accounts that I put on my own, uh, they're just sort of treated as a generic adult, um, which means that whatever seems to be trending for adults is what gets advertised to them. So, you know, they'll see ads for The Walking Dead or other things that maybe really aren't the best thing for them to be seeing. And maybe if um, both I had trust in these other systems and those other systems, you know, sort of rec- were, if we could connect it all together, it actually creates a much better world where. My kid can be online. The systems that we trust know that it's a child and therefore is um, advertising appropriately to them like you know, the, back in the day in the 70s, 80s, and 90s with Saturday morning cartoons and what could and could not be shown you know, to a kid. And so there's, there's these trade-offs and sometimes they're you know, on the positive side. So I, I, I tend to agree that it's not just about, oh, I want everything to be anonymous and we should go back to the 90s. It's, it's that fine line of, no, there's certain companies I want to trust. I want to give them that information because I want them to give me that tailored experience. Um, and then, yeah, it's all about control and transparency, which I think, you know, Europe um, and GDPR really gets a lot into. Uh, and we were sort of talking, um, I was talking among uh, some colleagues about GDPR and what its effect is and how, 
you know, it's this weird, interesting thing of taking cyberspace, which is abstract and without borders in theory, but it maps down to actual physical locations, whether it's citizens or where data is located or, and data is stored. And so now as we go into this abstract world um, or go between them and there's just more and more how GDPR and how countries and, and cultures are going to have to, how companies are going to have to exist and adhere to all these different cultural norms and standards um, across the world where, you know, in some parts of the world, the government owns the data. In other parts of the world, we firmly believe the user, the person owns their data. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how things play out. I'm curious what your thoughts are. Um, well, I'm not, uh, I, I'm, I, I guess my, my, my real belief is that we're going to fragment into two internets. One, um, you know, it, it's going to be much like the Cold War uh, because I've spent a bunch of time in China and unfortunately, you know, I don't think they're backing down on their path to be able to have total surveillance, um, mm -hmm. largely because of uh, the internet uh, across their entire society and the societies that are linked up to them in business arrangements, uh, Russia uh, and, and so forth. And, uh, you know, I, I don't see a detente happening between these uh, online worlds that are being created. And you see it today in the media all the way down to who's selling the infrastructure uh, to mm -hmm. enable the Internet. Is it Huawei or is it a Cisco? And, you know, and, and who's got the undersea cable? Uh, so it really it, it goes all the way to the, from the cybersphere down to the physical cabling and wiring and componentry and chipsets that enable us to have these, uh, you know, remote uh, podcasts and conversations and everything else. And I think I see it bifurcating into a total surveillance, uh, you know, area. I won't go as far as calling it communist, but, you know, <laughs> sort of enlightened communist, communist sort of surveillance uh, internet and one that, uh, in the, you know, in the, with respect to the GDPR and what I believe will be, um, similar federal legislation coming down the pike in the U S and in the UK, uh, and other, and, and we see it now in Brazil and in other countries here in the West too, where citizens rights to a layer of privacy and control over their data are going to be much better defined and much easier for them to take advantage of. Yeah, I tend to agree. Although um, sometimes I think it might be even more than just two. I sort of think through what, you know, that the U.S. and even the U.S.'s approach and Europe's approach um, may be different enough where maybe it's not completely separated, but at some point I may have to have a library that's running in Europe that's sort of just for European, just so to make it easier to sort of manage against those laws versus the U.S. laws, which are going to be different and maybe different enough. And then, yeah, obviously if there's really contradictory, like just, there's just no way to make these two things work, separating them out. And, and it just might make sense to have multiple instances of what should be a single platform running across the globe. But just because of the, the, the laws, uh, governing that user, that citizen, um, you may, you may, it. you may be absolutely right. Um, I think the only good news there is that technology will make it much easier to support that. Yeah, absolutely. Cloud technology. I mean, I think that's, it's, you know, it's funny because on the one hand, it's not a world that I like, it's, it's not really the vision I want, right? I would much prefer the sort of, 
utopian global, everything's connected. But at the same time, there's the realities of, well, whose cultural norms should be running the internet? And I can see everybody else's perspective of maybe ours isn't the norms that everybody else wants, um, especially as uh, legislators try to push through um, you know, encryption backdoors in the US that maybe <laughs> other countries don't want. So we'll see how I mean, things go. Yeah, I mean, it's it. I, I think it's just going to be a a point of contention that continues to come up, and you know, it has a lot of implications, uh, both for children. You, you know, as you mentioned, uh, you know, what are what are they seeing, and you know, what kind of bubbles are being created uh, for them in their digital environments, as well as political process, as well as you know, all the stuff that a government can uh, you know can do with uh, with their citizens, and you know. This is this is one of those areas where uh, I tend to believe there is a right and a wrong, and that you know freedoms uh, really do need to be uh, to, to be there for for people uh, in their digital lives, uh, which are which are increasingly generating data about their entirety of their life, and uh, you know people that don't have those freedoms are going to be worse off. Yeah, I mean, I also think a lot in terms of like the the way the internet is structured, the way things work, it is not possible for a government to completely, it's nearly impossible uh, for a government to completely control it. And so there will be, whether you call it the black web or the dark web or whatever you want to call it, there will always be something where if as you, you know, the more you tighten your grip, the more star systems will slip through your fingers. The more people will find these other, the more demand there'll be for these other things and the easier it'll be or, or more prevalent it'll be for people to find them. Um, I don't know if you figured it out. I only speak in analogies um, so <laughs> or movie quotes. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how things sort of play out um, you know, across cyberspace as it goes, bleeds into the real world. And you know, we were sort of talking about GDPR and um, one of your other products uh, definitely helps uh, with compliance uh, with the the delete me product. Uh, and you and I were talking a little bit about, um, you know, before we start, before we went live um, about how as somebody who's running uh, cyber, you know, running a website, a SaaS platform, we get GDPR requests all the time. We've built in uh, functionality into our application. You go in, you authenticate, you delete your account. We completely delete it compliant with the law. Um, and that's our, our version of, of, you know, the, the right to be forgotten. Um, but I also receive, uh, any number of emails. Um, they've definitely gone down in volume. Um, when GDPR first came out, there were just tons of emails we were getting regularly saying, delete my information. This is my email address. And one of the, there were a couple of frustrating things about those emails. Um, one was that the email specifically said, do not contact the person uh, at this email address. They were almost always sent by some third-party service. There was no way for me to authenticate or uh, verify that the request had come from the person making the, you know, from the account being requested. Uh, I'm curious, you have this Delete Me product. Um, how do you sort of see that? How do you guys deal with that? Am I doing the right thing by ignoring those emails um, and saying we have a built-in feature, just log in and delete your account? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, so the, you know, I, I, I think there's a part of these kinds of email requests that a lot of companies are getting uh, from you know, citizens of the EU and 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 also from now 
uh, residents of California and the U.S. Um, that um, that sort of have a veneer of legality that people mm-hmm. believe. Um, I don't, you know, I don't go on Facebook much, but I do have a Facebook account, and I remember seeing people post with this sort of legal disclaimer saying, you know, underneath their post saying. Um, None of this information can be used by anybody else. Uh, I have copyright over it. And, you know, there's this other long uh, illegalese under it. And, you know, Facebook does not have the right. And, and you're like, okay, you probably need to go back to your first year of law school because you signed the term of service to be here. Um, and, you know, we had a long fight with Facebook when they originally came out about they had a policy where they they made you use their your real name. You could not technically legally create a Facebook account with an abbreviated name or a pseudonym or anything else. Now, in practice, they didn't really police it, but just the fact that they wanted to require it goes back to your question of what should a uh, a service be able to um, to enforce around uh, identity verification? and around an account. And I think, number one, um, a lot of these emails, uh, just like these Facebook uh, legal disclaimers, are probably not uh, uh, legally compliant, either with the regulations or, uh, you know, or or anything else. Um, So they probably, uh, you know, by the letter of the law, I, my guess is obviously I'm not a lawyer. I'm not giving legal advice. I never right, planned. Right. I never planned to be one. Uh, uh, but um, my guess is that um, you know the, those don't 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 carry the same weight that um, a properly configured subject access request with verification of that subject's identity would. Uh, and now we're getting into a little of the technicalities of the GDPR. But the the point is. I think on a broad scale, um, a lot of countries, uh, the EU uh, and all of its uh, member countries and some states in the U.S. and hopefully the entire U.S., at least we hope, uh, are creating these laws. And the laws enshrine certain rights for consumers. And one of those rights is, hey, you have the right to ask for what data a company has about you. And you have the right to then potentially limit what that company can do with that data and or opt out or delete it, um, depending on what you want to do. And the, the, the question that you're really asking is, how should we, if we're a company and we're receiving those requests from our customers, uh, how should we uh, handle those? And there's new companies that have been spun up in the, in the privacy space that, are, uh, that have these things called consent managers, which do all this kind of identity verification things for you. And the customers are, are sort of frustrated today. They're, 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 they're saying, well, why can't I just send an email with, you know, to, because it's much easier for me. Why do I have to go through this, um, you know, all of these hoops and, you know, go enter some of my information in. And you might even be reusing that information to update your database right. and, then, and then verify my identity just so I can have it removed. And I think this is, you know, our Delete Me service deals with this because in many cases, we either impact, we either act on behalf of the customer 
with their consent to go uh, effect an opt-out, or we help them uh, with our you sort of do-it-yourself processes to help them understand what to do. And in all cases, uh, we do have to respect today the uh, verification methodologies that are in place, and they're different at every company. I'm sure they're different. Uh, what you set up at Cyberary is different from what uh, we have to deal with with Spokio, which is different when we remove somebody from white pages and and everything else. And and it's just it's one of the problems that I think is due to an immature new set of laws and an immature set of technologies that are trying to put those laws into practice on both sides of a marketplace, the customer side and the business side. And I, right. hope, I hope that those will get better. Right. And I hope that there's some standardization around it, right? Like I understand, and I'm grateful that GDPR did not include like prescriptive, this is how a user must be able to delete their information from your system. Like that would have been terrible because lawmakers, well, you know, lawmakers are great at, at technology. I'm sure they'd get it right. But, um, but it would just, you know, so there's no, there's no way that they could do that. And so I'm glad that they just left it at a user needs to be able to do this thing. And I'm just saying, well, we know like users have to authenticate with us. We're not going to delete everything they've ever learned or everything we know about them, which is all of the training that they've taken on our platform. We're not going to take that lightly and just delete it because we received some email asking it to be deleted when I know for, you know, it's very, very easy to spoof an email um, and make it look like it came from someone and it didn't come from. Um, and so, yeah, so we just say, you know, log in, re-log in and re-authenticate. It's definitely a challenge for some of our uh, legacy users, especially uh, when I go back and think uh, uh, the company started in 2015, I joined in 2017. And in the early days, we didn't even require people verify their email address. So there's a number of people who probably have no real ability to, to delete their account from our platform because they can't log in anymore. They don't know the password and whatever bogus email address they gave to us, uh, they can't use for forgot password. On the one hand, what do we really know about them? They gave us all this fake information, so it's impossible for us to link it back to who they really are. Um, and also, we've been in the process of purging all those records anyway. We've sort of gone over the last couple of years. We've replatformed. We're doing all of these things. Eventually, we're just going to say, hey, if you haven't logged in in a couple of years, chances are we don't really care about your data, and neither do you, and we'll just delete it anyway. So um, so that's sort of the direction we're, we're going. I, I, think that. that's, I think that's the right direction. It's, the, it's exactly the one we've taken here. Uh, at our company, where if you're inactive for a certain amount of time, you know we we figure it's best not to have your data. Right. Uh, and but but I think you know I think you're doing the right things from from what I can tell, and, and I do hope that it gets better. Uh, and there's more standards, and there's more easy to use ways to affect these preferences that you have. Uh, it is. Just to just to come back to our delete me service, right. you know, what one of the things that's really different about it and frustrating uh, to no end for us and our customers is that for most of what we're removing our delete me customers from, and we remove them from, you know, dozens and dozens of different data brokers, is that they never created an account. They mm. literally never created an account. So um, these data brokers have scraped together profiles that are very rich, that have the information, uh, you know, all correlated about uh, 
about a particular person, their past addresses, their ages, they have photos of their home, um, their kids and their relatives, names and ages, all the stuff that you can use for, you know, all kinds of things, identity theft, you know, guessing passwords, uh, you know, uh, you name it. And it's all there. And most of the data brokers, you know, scraped it for free and then are selling it for, you know, uh, 10 bucks a month or, you know, 50 cents for a single record or whatever. And our customers are saying, why in the world do I have to verify my identity with somebody where I never verified with my identity in the first place just to get them to remove something that I don't want that they're publishing and is up high on Google when somebody Googles my name? So there's right. a lot of there's a lot of complexities to this this business of uh, deletion, opt out. Where's my data? Who has it? That we're still in the process of figuring out as a society. Yeah, and I think that's where GDPR. Like when I think about what GDPR really was targeting, it was not companies like Cyber and what we do with our users' data, which is we track what learning you did. Like we we're not we're not in the business of making money off of the data you you know we we track about our users we're in the business of trying to give you the best experience we can based on what we know about what your what your interests are in cybersecurity and IT you know career development and so but where it gets um where i think things get really messy is in those third parties where you start bringing in some company that's going to help you um do entity resolution or any type of entity enrichment from a sales perspective where you're adding additional attributes like, oh, well, this person provided me this email address and this name. I'm sh- There's whole companies out there that are based on, well, we'll take that and we'll tell you where they work. We'll tell you who their boss is. We'll tell you their phone number, their job title, the rest, all of this other information. And they're not just scraping public data. They're getting it because companies use their platform, other companies are using their platform. And now they're in this position where they can see a more global view because and aggregate data from all of their different customers into one user profile. And again, it's the same thing. Like I never told, you know, that aggregator that I'm okay with, you know, I, my relationship is with Cybrary, not with the company Cybrary uses to do some data processing that you guys have decided as a data processor, you're going to, to take advantage of your position and commingle all this different data from all of your customers. And I think that's where I, I'm, I'm really happy to see GDPR. That, and I think that's where it was really focused was on that sort of second party that's doing some that's, of these things behind the scenes. I think that's right. And, you know, I can just tell you, uh, you know, we live and breathe this fight every day with Delete Me. And, you know, the only, we, we, we give away, we have a free guide on our site that, that literally tells anyone who shows up exactly what we're doing. It's, it's, it's not rocket science. It's just that we're saving people so much time for $129 a year that they, they get frustrated. They break down. They, they just pay us to do it because we can do it faster. We can do it better and we can do it continuously. But like these sites are so good at getting data and so unconcerned, at least here in the U.S. today, about mm-hmm. doing it as aggregators, as data brokers. It is very, very frustrating. And I'll tell you, I was emailing back and forth with the CEO of one of these major data brokers. I won't name the company, mylife.com, mylife.com, who I know. And, you know, we've sat down and had beers together before. And he literally believes uh, that most people 
want their profile on his site, even though they never created it. Right. And so it, if that's where we're starting, uh, uh, you know, between uh, a version of, hey, we should be able to control our information and where the CEOs of these data broker aggregator companies are, we've got a very long way to find an equilibrium. Yeah, I agree. I think um, one of the things that I, I appreciate because of the laws and um, is that it does make it easier for me um, in my role as like the person who's in charge, responsible for vetting all of the technology that we use. It makes it much easier for me to feel more comfortable with like, yeah, we're going to use that vendor. This is their data processing agreement. I know what we're doing. I know that they're not going to take our users' data and use it in these nefarious ways. I'm... I'm a big privacy advocate. I wear a tinfoil hat in my spare time. Like I, there's nothing more important to me than the privacy of our users and the trust they put in us. And um, it's in, when in the, you know, I go back to my last job where I was lucky enough, we weren't really dealing with these types of problems. We didn't have a B2C offering everything. It was a, it was an enterprise product. But um, even there, there were some companies that we, you know, Salesforce. Um, we want to get certain plugins. We want to be able to do lead scoring. We want to be able to do this enrichment. And it did make me feel very uncomfortable about like, well, how do I know if they're able to supply us this information? Where are they getting that information from? Well, it must be from people like us giving it to them. And so, you know, they can't just be scraping LinkedIn and, and other things to get this data. Although well, that's probably one of the main sources. <laughs> My recommendation, uh, which which is probably unsurprising, both the businesses and consumers here, uh, is is, is um, hey, you're you know you need to you need to make sure there's awareness about this because I'm sure that Cyberry has competitors that are offering free courses and consumers that are taking those free courses and creating accounts at the free course competitors need to also understand that free isn't free. And if you're getting this stuff free, you're the product. Uh, right. And I do, and I do think more people understand that now. But businesses uh, like yours and others that are doing the right thing and have a great product and uh, offer it at a fair price need to continue to remind um, you know the mass market out there uh, that that um, you know that's a differentiator. It, it is it is literally better to do business with us than to do business with those free scammy guys, you know, at this other URL. Right. Although I will just to make, uh, be clear, we do offer some freemium. Uh, we do have a freemium model. Um, but the idea is we offer some of the, the videos, the other things that we can, um, for free with the idea being give you a sense of the value that you can get upgrade the videos themselves that we're offering for free. We can do that for free. Not because, um, we, you know, we use it as, you know, we, as like a, uh, a lead into the rest of the product. We can show you value. We believe that by allowing you to take some of the stuff for free, you should be able to try it, test it, uh, and then and then decide for yourself whether or not to upgrade, right? We don't have a completely free platform with, you know, as soon as we start having to spend um, money on you, that's sort of, that's the point at which we have to consider like, well, you know, videos we can, you know, and content are, are pretty low cost for us to deliver. It's once you switch into the next gear where you're doing the hands-on training that right. costs us money. That's where we, we need to make sure that we're collecting something. But yes, I agree. Like if there's a completely free service, it's not completely free. Gmail is not free. Um, it comes at a cost. Um, and I don't think people realize what that cost is. <laughs> 100%. Um, 
and yeah. and and uh, we have a freemium model too. So there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with freemium. Right. But uh, but 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 if a service is 100 percent free and you, you find yourself using it, uh, scratch your head. Right. Actually, I saw. Um... What was it? The um, the social dilemma. Uh, one of the guys on there was talking about how it's beyond. It's no longer just that you're the product. It's actually your time that's the product. That's what they're harvesting. That's what it's. It's the idea of they just want your time and your eyeballs and your your attention. That's what they're actually getting for free um, by offering it for free. And I thought that was another interesting uh, twist on on the whole free versus paid uh, services. Um, Anyway, uh, any any other thoughts about like Delete Me and sort of what differentiates it and how you? Um, I'm curious. Like, it's one of those products that definitely um, is really intriguing to me. I think because I wear that tinfoil hat. Um, any other thoughts or, or things about it? Um, well, um, you know, I think we're seeing a tremendous influx of people uh, becoming customers of Delete Me because they see when they Google their own name or their friends or family's name, how easy it is to see all this information uh, right there on the front page of Google. And mm-hmm. it is almost always, um, you know, sure, we might have a LinkedIn uh, uh, link up there or we, we might have been mentioned in a positive way in a, in, you know, in, you know, at, our, at a charity, at our, you know, alma mater, high school or college or something. And, and all those... Uh, Links on the web tend to be fine, but um, the the vast majority of people's um, online uh, results on Google are now dominated by these data brokers saying, "Hey, check out Mike's total profile, all his email addresses, his phone numbers, his children's ages, his uh, and then and then they of course they take it further because they're marketers and they go check out his criminal record, his you know." <laughs> Does he have a does he have a sexual you know uh, predator uh, profile? Uh, do a background check. You know all these words that are scary, but you know uh, get people to buy. Uh, you know it's just it, it's just atrocious uh, in a way. But I think what people um, see out there now is that these companies have you know done a done an incredible job at not just marketing this data. High, high up on Google uh, results, but also pulling it together in a way where it is accurate um, to a degree where most people are uncomfortable. Um, yeah. Hey, you know, why should it be free for somebody to get all of my past, you know, eight addresses, whether I'm married or not, whether I've been divorced, what my, you know, parents' ages and names are. It just doesn't feel right. And at the same time, um, you know, the... The, the service that we have uh, to, to, to plug in a little bit does do an effective job of cleaning it up. Uh, and we do it all year long um, and you don't have to worry about it. So that's what's driving both the, the bad part of it, which is there's more of this information publicly searchable and available about all of us and the good part of it, which is, you know, we can do something about it today and tomorrow when more legislation is passed, we'll be able to be even more effective. No, that's awesome. And I uh, definitely applaud the effort and appreciate companies like yourselves out there uh, making it a lot easier for everyone else so they don't have to go through the... like. At this point, I'm sort of um, well entrenched into my systems. Um, the idea of replacing some of them uh, on the, you know, sort of on the uh, 
anonymity side of things and privacy side of things, but no one should have to go through what I go through. It should be a lot easier. And, and, um, I'm super appreciative, um, of, of companies like you that are out there. Um, so thanks for joining us. I really enjoyed the conversation. Look forward to talking to you again. Uh, likewise. And, uh, we will, uh, our, our employees and internal team will be, uh, signing up and checking out some of the, uh, free and paid, uh, offerings that, that you guys have at Cyberary because it's important that we uh, all keep up with our skill sets and and uh, and our education. And it's, it's actually something that, um, that I think is important for every company is just constantly be making sure there's time to learn and to train on, you know, the most recent skills. Uh, so thanks for having me. Yep, definitely. And uh, one more time, what's the, uh, what's the website for your company? Oh, uh, if you're interested in, in, in learning more about Delete Me, it's joindeleteme.com. Uh, and uh, the parent company, our privacy company is called Abine. Is it just at abine.com, abine.com. Awesome. Thanks again. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, this is Thor. Thanks for listening to the Cyberry Podcast and make sure to check back next Wednesday for our newest episode.